0: So we're in James, and James, like Pastor said, is punching us in our face. The one thing I love about James is he is very much a New Englander, and for those online who are watching from Canada or California, and you don't get that, he's, a as a matter of fact, he's that type of guy or a woman, as a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you the facts. Like, you know, a lot of the, the, the writings are very ethereal and very in the stratosphere, and us as Christians, we like to be in the stratosphere. Oh, you know, we're up here listening to God and James is like, shut up, you gotta do. You can't just be up here in the sky. So he, as, he is as a matter of fact. And as a creative, it hurts my feelings because I like to be in the stratosphere. I, my mind thinks in the, the creative space and every time I've been in a meeting with a person who as a matter of fact, they get me so mad. But you need those as a matter of fact people because they bring you down to earth saying, that's cool, but have you thought about A, B, and C? And James is like that. He says, that's cool that in faith you're prophesying what you can see in the future, but you're missing today. Have you seen today? And so that's why I love James, and that's why you should love James, because he's very much the same blood as a New Englander, and he's going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And we need those type of people in our life. Amen. 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 And I'm so thankful that Pastor Marco, he is one of those, as a matter of fact, people. But he does it in such love. And I, and I love that he, he decided and felt that God has called us to go over the book of James and to kind of dive deeper. Because we can read this book and we can just read it and be like, oh, that's a good book. I'm moving on. But now that we're diving into it, and not just on a Sunday, but we're diving into it in our cruise We're able to just go into deeper what the word of God says in the context of the word. Because we can't give you a history lesson of all James is talking about. But in crew, we can dive in. In crew, we can talk about, hey, I was confused when Pastor said this. Or I was confused when James says this. So we can dive in together and figure it out. And James is just hitting us all on a different level. Can I get an amen in this church? Amen. Amen. So today, our assignment, our goal, is to go through... Uh, verses 13 through 17 in the chapter of four. I don't know why I said it that way. (laughs) But hey, we got there, didn't we? We got there. And if you didn't bring a Bible, don't worry. You are still spiritual. We're going to have it behind me or on these side screens. And let's dive in. You ready? Let's go. Uh, James chapter four, verse 13 through 17. And it says this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Did you feel that slap in the face? (laughs) So James, in the context of this verse, is talking to merchants. And again, he's the pastor of all Jerusalem. So in that time, there were merchants who would set up tents, sell, and then if if things started drying up, they'd be like, okay, we're going to move on so they are very much entrepreneurs and that's who he's that's who his audience is talking to but i think there's something for those who don't have the entrepreneur spirit although i think all of us have an entrepreneur spirit in us some of us at a greater level than others but i feel like james is talking to us as well and we're going to dive in and under, try to understand what he's trying to get at here and and we read that he says you have thought in your mind i'm going to go to this city or that city tomorrow today or tomorrow and i'm going to go plant and make money. He's saying you have certain plans that you have in mind to do, but you are only thinking about it in one view, your own view. And so he's saying plans aren't evil. It's, it's okay to have a plan. You might read that and be like, well, I'm not gonna have a plan for tomorrow. No, have a plan for tomorrow. Wake up tomorrow in Jesus' name that you will wake up and have a plan laid out for your day. Just Just be open to what may come. He's saying plans aren't evil, and the reason why plans aren't evil, it's good stewardship. God calls us to be good stewards, but what they were doing and what they were saying, they were making themselves God, above God's will. They were putting their will above God, saying, I'm going to go do this, this or that, and that's why he says it's better to say, if the Lord wills it, then I will do this or do that. So plans aren't evil. The building we're sitting in took months and months of planning. When we were at Keith, we did a huge like um, uh, support financial, I, I can't think of the word, but we, we raised money. And a lot of people rose up to the plan and, and did it. But what we did is two weeks, or I think it was a month or two weeks before we did that, we announced, hey, we are going to do this where we're going to collect money for our new building. We set it, and then a month or two weeks later, I don't remember, we raised over $400,000 in one day to be in this building. There was a plan in place to get into this building. So plans aren't evil. And then now you're in this building, and it took weeks and weeks and weeks of planning to get this building to the place it's at. We had Peter Arruda who, who helped build all the walls, put the doors on the hinges. Thank God he was doing it. Cause if we were doing it, it would have been like off the hinge a little bit. it would have been hard to open every time. So we had Peter Arruda planning every single step of the way. And then we had Fernando come in and, and Fernando and Misael come in and set up a whole team to paint absolutely the whole building. And the reason everything is painted is because there was weeks and weeks and weeks of planning. Plans aren't evil. There was a plan for the seat that you're sitting in. If pastor had his way, we would have those folding chairs, you know, that really, that hurt to sit on. But Pastor Lindsey stepped in for us, come on, amen. She says, no, we need some cushion. And there was a plan now that, thank God you're sitting on a cushion seat because I'm about to take 35 hours preaching. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. But there's a plan. We have to plan date night. If I don't plan date night, date night will never happen. If I don't plan out my kids day or week, I'm probably just gonna give them the phone and play YouTube and let them just go and do their thing. We gotta have a plan, plans are okay, plans mean stewardship. The only reason why James is coming at the plans that they were creating, the entrepreneurs, the, the, the CEOs of that time, the merchants, was because he was pinpointing the motive of the plan. There's a motive behind every plan we create. Plans made without God lead us to destructions. I've always heard it this way and framed this way. If God says he will build it, he will sustain it. If I build it, he allows me to carry it. And we can't carry what we build, maybe for a minute. But what did Jesus say? On this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. He didn't say on this rock you will build your kingdom or your home or your house and the gates will not prevail. No, the opposite is true. If we build, the gates of hell will prevail in our lives because we are not strong enough. We went through the name of Jesus, the cross in which he died, through the resurrection of the grave, that we have authority in his name to overcome. So it's Jesus first. And if he builds it, he will sustain it. And we then can say, I'm living a good, good life. Amen. And so as I was studying this, um, looking into these, these four verses, um, I needed some help, you know, I, I needed some help. So there was this name of, uh, there's a name of this guy, Sam Albury, who really helped kind of make, help me understand these verses a little more. And he gave helped me see two views that James is kind of breaking down to these merchants. So I'm going to, I'm going to use his work. You should go check out that book. It's um, James for Everyone. It's, it's, it's kind of the same thing that we use for Galatians. Galatians for Everyone is just another author who wrote this book. So it's a great book, a great resource to really read if you want to dive in just a little more into James. Just a side note. But he gives us two views to help us protect ourselves from ourselves. And the first view is our view of the future. We have a view of the future. So we read in James 4, verse 14, the first part of this verse. It says, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. I'm going to read that again so you can get it in your spirit. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Now, my planners, my Enneagram ones are having a hard time with that one. What you mean I won't know what happened to me. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. It's an unsettling thought, right? But I saw it as a sober thought that it's so cool that God doesn't open the veil tomorrow. He allows us just to have the moment. We don't even have today. We have the moment into the next moment, into the next moment and so on as we're moving in time. And James is poking at in this first part of this verse, our innate nature, our innate nature to be like God. We all have a nature to want to be like God, to control certain outcomes and certain things we want to do. It's quiet in here because it's true. When I was reading it to myself, I'm like, dang, that's so true. I already have certain things made out that I think is going to happen. But God's like, no, it's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. So he's, he's poking at this little thing in us that's very small in us saying, you have control of the future. But like James says, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. We think that when we speak it, it's gonna happen. The only person who can speak something and it will happen is God. And so when we, can, we can settle in that, that God speaks of tomorrow. He knows of tomorrow and I'm gonna trust him, but I'm gonna take this moment today. So he's, he's coming at us and, and we know that we fail when we try to tell the future. All of us, every single one of us has an interesting relationship with our local meteorologists. <laughs> we want to believe them so bad. And sometimes we hold on to their word too strong. Oh, well, today it's going to be sunny with no chance of rain, no overhead. We walk outside, a blizzard is coming right through. Like, what is happening, man? You said it was going to be, su- you're in shorts, you, look, you, you think you're looking good because you've been working out for six months. It's it's a blizzard. We have this interesting relationship with it because we believe that they can tell the future. And there's a fun fact about meteorology. I did like a tangent study on meteorologists. They use three different satellites in space to help give them enough data to understand the nature of the course of the weather. It's amazing. It's really crazy that they use all this work to still sometimes be wrong. It's, It's amazing. And how much them that they use all that data that sometimes they're wrong and us, we use no data. We're just using our wishful thinking, thinking that we have it all figured out. It's amazing, it's crazy. And so we can tell these future tellers, hey man, I know a verse in James 4.14, the first part of it says, you don't even know tomorrow. So don't even try to tell me the, the, the weather. you don't know, we'll see when we get there. And Solomon in Proverbs 27, verse one says this, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. Have you ever planned out your day the day of? Has it ever gone the way you wanted it to? I planned out date nights and I'm like, you know, uh, baby number three is on the way. And to no avail, we get to Olive Garden and all of a sudden we get into an argument about how I'm eating. I'm, I'm slapping my lips or I'm not eating the spaghetti right. Something's happening. You plan out something and it never happens the way you, you hope to plan it because we don't have a hold on the future. And it's funny because it's the reality. We have a hope, like my wife and I just watched Jurassic World, the last one. I had a hope that it was gonna be the best Jurassic Park movie ever finished the movie two hours and a half later it was one of the worst movies I have ever seen in my life I think it's going to happen and it doesn't happen that is the sovereignty of God saying you have no control in the future even in the things you think you have control of you do not trust in me and I will guide your steps Charles H Spurgeon said this he has this quote he's a He's a a reformed preacher in the back of the day. A lot of preachers, probably every preacher today is using him in their message. And I'm going to read this to you. To know the good might lead us to presumption. To know the evil might tempt us to despair. Happy for us is it that our eyes cannot penetrate the thick veil which God hangs between us and tomorrow. That we cannot see beyond the spot where we are now in that In a certain sense, we are utterly ignorant as the details of the future. We may indeed be thankful for our ignorance. What a sobering thought. Ignorance is bliss that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. If we knew that the things we were going to go through uh, were going to happen, what would we change? We would try to be so meticulous about everything that we would miss the things that are happening around us. There's a nuance to life. If we're so tight holding on to what we think is gonna happen, we're gonna miss the things that God is actually putting in front of us for us to actually walk through and to go through. Amen? And so the only definitive of tomorrow, this is our first view of tomorrow, is Jesus is King. Close on Sunday, you my Chick-fil-A. We needed Kanye to tell us that Jesus is King. And so now we move into view two. And view two is, is another good one. It's the view of ourselves, the perspective of ourselves to protect us from ourselves. James four, verse 14, the second part of this verse says this. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. What is your life? When I read this, I thought of Michael Scott and Toby's exit interview automatically. It just happened right out the gate, right out the gate. As he's interviewing, if you don't know the the, the series, I was going to call the sermons here. If you don't know this this television series, you need to go watch it. Last time I preached, I preached on uh, uh, James 2. And I gave homework of Leviticus 19 to go and study Leviticus 19. But your homework today is to go watch The Office and get that in your system. Trust me, you will get saved. It took me it took me a while to get to it. But one of my favorite parts in, in this, in this um, one episode is Michael Scott is asking Toby, who do you think you are? What gives you the right? And it just it, it just reminded me of that because I feel James is, is kind of saying, Who do you think you are? What gives you the right? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And James is showing this inner narrative of ourselves of a me-centered universe. Having this self-importance of ourselves that we are so important, that you don't know who I am, all the things I've done, the kids I birthed, all the things I, you didn't know who I was in, in high school, I was a football star, you don't know who I am? I'm the lead singer of New Life South Coast worship. You don't know who I am? He's showing this inner narrative of a me-centered universe, and he encourages. So he says, who do you think you are? Let me encourage you by this. Your life is fleeting. You're a nobody in this context of the world, but in Jesus' eyes, we are somebody. I don't want you to leave. Like, I'm a nobody. No, you are somebody. But he, he's trying to enlighten us that, hey, there is, a, there is a narrative in you that thinks about you way too much, And we need to correct this view, because if we don't correct this view, you're going to lead yourself into a place of only you. You know those people that we meet, all of us have met, and they're all alone? And they'll let you know that they're all, I'm all alone. You're all, I'm all alone. Well, the reason they're all alone is that they never had this perspective change that it's not just you. It's you and others. And if I can see others in my life, then it'll extend out of me and my life becomes just like Jesus'. And so he is telling us, we're here moment, gone the next. I asked my wife this question that I have in my notes, and she was proving me wrong. Most of us, the majority of us, don't know our great-grandparents' name. And she was like, well, I do. She was fighting through it for like five minutes, trying to disprove my point. You know, that's what what she she wants to do. I'll leave it to her. We'll see her at the altar. But... uh, I'm kidding. I'm going to be grounded later. Y'all getting me in trouble. (laughs) Most of us don't know the name of our great-grandparents. And that's a crazy reality that we are, or I am, two generations away from not being known by anyone on this earth. And so he's reminding us, like, hey, yeah, there is an expiration date on you. And that's not bad. That is not bad. It's a good thing that we will leave one day. But now when we leave that one day, we're going to spend eternity with the one who matters, God in his presence. Yes. Amen. So James, in these two views, are exposing this God po- complex within every single one of us. That we know the future, we can determine the future, we can speak the future, and the future will happen the way we said it. And then he exposes the second is that like, ourselves, we're so important, you don't know who I am. I'm gonna be here always, my name will be remembered for glory and glory, my name will go and go and go. And millions of years from now, they're gonna talk about um, Jerry Smith. I don't know, making that up. They're gonna talk about Jerry Smith because I am so great. And he's encouraging us, no, you won't be remembered. But the one who matters will remember you. And so he tells us a better stance. And we read this in James four, verse 15. We're working through this together. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord's will, we will do this and we will do that. Now, how many of us Christians have said this in such a way to use it as a magic spell? Expelliarmus. Let it happen. If it's God's will, it'll happen. If it's God's will, it'll work itself out. Like God's going to be the one to get it going. No, do we remember in James 2 verse 18, it says, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. We use it in a sense that if it's God's will, yes, we will do this or that, but I'm going to start today doing what I feel God is calling me to do. Or we hear it the other way, because it was God's will, as it's a get out of free jail card. Yeah, I know we've used it. I've used it. I broke that person's heart because it was God's will. Or I declared bankruptcy. I put up so much credit that it led me to destruction, but it's God's will now that I have to do this certain thing to get out of it. Might it have been God's will for you to wait? Might it have been God's will for you to sit with it? Might it have been God's will for you to get some counsel about certain things that you wanted to do rather than jump in gung-ho that it's going to work itself out? you two kids in, divorce, and it's shambles everywhere. But it was God's will that I get this divorce. It was God's will that I declared bankruptcy. It was God's will that I take those steps. And in reality, God is saying, no, that wasn't my will. But now that you are partnering, there's some things we got to undo together to get you to the place where now you can trust me and wait on me. Because when we wait on the Lord, we renew our strength, that we wait on God, and that we can move forward. God is sovereign. He's omniscient. means he's all-knowing. He knows it all. He knows the beginning, the middle, and the end. He sees it as one. He sees it happening in real time, and he sees it happening in the view. I don't know how he does it. He does it. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants to, but he's so loving that he will let the laws of physics work itself out because he created something that is perfect. He's omnipotent. And when we choose God's will, we choose that sovereignty. We choose that he's all-knowing, that, that if I'm, like, me marrying my wife, he knew that I was going to marry my wife. But he knew that I was going to wait and seek counsel before I jumped in gung-ho. He knew I was going to do my homework on my wife to make sure she was going to be suitable for me. And I hope she was doing vice versa with me, making sure that I was going to be suitable. I was doing what I knew I should do in the moment because I was trusting God's sovereignty would work it out. He's omnipotent. I know he's going to take care of us no matter what we go through. At the beginning of the marriage when we couldn't afford an apartment, he was right there being faithful. When I didn't have a car, he gave me a friend who had a car and gave me a car. He's omnipotent. He's sovereign. When we choose God's will, he takes care of his children. When we choose God's will, he guides our steps. And the most sobering part of the whole Bible, in my, in my view, is when God in his humanity had the hardest time. Because we can say, I want to be just like Jesus, but there's a little bit in us being like, I, I can't really be like Jesus. He was, he was perfect. But he was 100% God, but he was also 100% human. And in his, very, in his most human moment about to be betrayed, about to be turned over, about to take the cross, about to get whipped for our sins, he asked God this one question. Matthew 26, verse 39 says this, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus in his humanity, God in flesh, said let this cup pass by me. He knew what was coming. He knew that he would overcome. He knew that he would give a hope and a future to us. He knew that, but the pain of it all was so unbearable that he asked God the Father, would you, if possible, let this cup pass by me? But Jesus said the most important thing, yet not my will, but your will be done. He is showing us that there is, is a decision that we can make. We can make that decision. He is showing us the humanity in which we all experience that we can choose God's will even in hell and high water, that we can choose God and he will work it out. Story after story, we've heard of addictions and and sicknesses being healed because people said, I'm going to choose God's will and I'm going to walk it. It's going to hurt and it's going to be hard, but I'm going to walk through it with God and he's going to get me on the other side. Yet not my will, but your will be done in my life. When we choose God's will, we're choosing that he's going to light our path, and he's going to be the lamp unto our feet. We choose him as our shepherd, that he will give us all we need, that we won't lack anything. And when we walk through the valley of shadow and death, we won't fear no evil, for he is right there. His rod and his staff comfort us. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us by still waters. He is there with us when we choose him. And I want to say God is always there with us, even when we say we don't want him. But he's just off in a distance. He's just waiting. He's letting you fall into your own destruction, letting you fall into everything that you are planning before you. He's letting you do what you want to do in your free will, but he's just waiting, waiting to say, waiting for you to say, God, I need you. And he's going to step right in. But when we choose this will, he's saying, nope, you don't want to go down that road. Nope, you don't want to go up that hill. Nope, you shouldn't watch that movie. Nope, you shouldn't be on your phone at 2 in the morning. Nope, you shouldn't be driving down that street. Nope, you should let go of that friend right now. Nope, you shouldn't date that girl. He's right there guiding us along the way. And and it hurt when I got to this point, because when we choose our will, we aimlessly wander, trying to figure it out. Sometimes... <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. No, we aimlessly wander. We're trying to figure it out in the moment, moment to moment, moment to moment. And that's being a bad steward. That's not having no plans. And, th- and that in its sense is evil. We're not taking ownership of what God is giving you. But then have you ever met those people who, who just do things like, all right, we'll just figure it out. Spontaneity spot always. Never have a plan. Just gonna, we'll figure it out. Let's go to the beach. We'll figure it out. We'll go to the next city. We'll stay with someone we meet on the street. I don't know. We'll figure it out. It's aimlessly wandering. When we choose our will, it's kind of like that. We'll figure it out. It'll happen in its own. I I, I don't know. I'll I'll get four girlfriends or I'll get five boyfriends. I'll I'll figure it out. I'll I'll find my guy through the guys I have to go through to get to that one. It's like you're mining for gold through guys. Come on. Um, Aimlessly wandering in the dark. And that hit me because it reminded me of Job 1. There was a meeting between God and Satan and a few other angels. And God asked Satan, what have you been doing? He asked him this question, what have you been doing? He says, I've been aimlessly wandering to and fro through the earth. When we choose our will, I'm not saying you the devil. I'm not saying that. My my mama said, no, I'm not saying you are the devil. What I'm saying is when you choose your will, you become like the devil. His nature, you're choosing yourself, the self-importance, you're choosing pride, you're this arrogance that I can do it on my own. When we choose our will, we become like the person who wants to see us die. And not just in our flesh, but die in spirit, who wants to hold us in this place called hell. Hell is a reality, and he wants to bring us there, and he's saying, yeah, you need to choose your will. Yeah, those urges you have with your body, yeah, choose those. Go for those. No, God, I want your will, not my will. I don't want to aimlessly wander in the dark. I want to walk with you, God. You go before me. You are behind me. You are beside me. You are leading the way. It is you, God. And so James, James is concerned about a few things. Again, he's not against plans. If you remember what we read in those, in those verses, is you said you will go. There's a lot of you, there's a lot of I. You will go and do this. What he's concerned about is the how. He's concerned about the what. He's concerned about the why. How the plans were made, what plans were made, why the plans were made. We usually in leadership like to talk the why matters before the what and the how. But James is kind of flipping on, no, how were the plans made? What plans were made? And why were they made? And he's getting to the point, who made the plans? Who makes the plans makes the difference. Makes all the difference. If it's I who made the plans, then it's going to be, again, I who sustained the plans. But if it's God who's downloading, and other things Christians say that is weird, God's just downloading it to me right now. I'm synced up to a, a heavenly computer right now and it's just getting download. <laughs> you know, back in no, too many millennials in here or Gen Zs. All right, so he's concerned about who made the plans. Who did I get it from? Was the conception partnership with God or his will or was it self-ambition or self-medication? Self-ambition is... I'm picking up more hours, and the, the, the way to determine that is, is that favor from God? Or is that fear of a lack in a certain area? You can always determine, is this favor? Is this something I've been praying for and God unlocked it? Or is this me afraid that we're not going to make it in check, so I'm going to let some things go so I can get more money? So that's, that's a great way to determine. Or self-medication. Trading a socially unacceptable addiction for a socially acceptable addiction. You're changing the addiction. Drugs is unacceptable, but now we're going to focus on health, and we're going to be all about health, and we're going to worship health. We're going to change this addiction now. We're going to be all about golf. If you're into (laughs) golf, you know I always bring up golf. I don't know why, but that, that can turn into an addiction. You're trading one that isn't socially acceptable for one that is socially acceptable but God is saying I don't need you to be addicted to anything I need you to be free or we can even frame it this way that's a good water break we can frame it this way I'm trading my addictions and I'm going to be a Christian who's addicted to God I don't think God wants that type of verbiage he doesn't want you to be addicted. He wants you to be free from slavery. He wants you to find freedom. And in your freedom, choose Him. When you're a slave to something, you're slave to it, meaning that you have to have it. Now, we have to have God. We need Him and we want Him. But I know He wants us to choose Him. He wants us. To, so it's trading an unacceptable addiction for a socially acceptable addiction. You can kind of figure that out. Because if I make the plans aside from God and his sovereignty and I boast of them, and we will, we will boast in, in our sovereignty or in our concept or mirage of sovereignty. James right? we're gonna move on. James 4, um, chapter four, verse 16. Otherwise you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and, and all such boasting is evil. Evil because taking pride in what I've created is self-important. Boasting in our pretentious plans, boasting in, in these plans we've created. There was, a, there, was a, there was a plan for this ship in 1912 that was claimed unsinkable called the Titanic. They were saying in some articles that even, not even God can sink this ship. And we all know the tragic story of the Titanic. Hit, hit an iceberg, water came in, Jack and Rose were on a on a door. I believe we can argue all day. There was enough room for the both of them. They could have been saved. I don't know. I don't know. That's not all me. But there, there's this tragic story of the Titanic. They were saying it's unsinkable. What they were saying, it's never going to be down. It's always going to keep going. It's the biggest boat, the strongest boat. That's boasting in a plan for something, not knowing the future, but saying, I know the future because this... Built is strong. The ship is built strong. And then we saw the reality of that. And that's what James is hinting at. Like you're boasting in what you don't know, saying you do know. And God's going to come around and say you didn't know. And now we have the story of Titanic. And I was, I was trying to figure out, because I never would just want to, we never just want to say something and have you figured out. Kind of want to bring it to your consciousness, Our reality of this again it goes back to job one of the things that will always take us away from god is the love of money and the pursuit of getting more money so a job will take you away from 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 weekend saying like oh, i got this new job or i got a promotion at job but i have to work the weekends but don't you worry, I'm gonna be at church. You're boasting in this plan that you're still gonna be at church with this job promotion that's gonna take you away from the actual moment that you can actually be in church with the community of people, it's taking away from, but you're saying, no, I'm gonna be there, I'm gonna be there. And the moment you start walking it, we've seen it time and time, this isn't just a made up thing, we've seen it time and time and time and time again. Every year of this church, people have gotten job promotions, or new jobs that took them away from a weekend and that one weekend turned into two weekends, that two weekends turned into three, four months, years and we haven't seen them in years because of a job promotion, the seeking of the pursuit of more money. It's, it's the reality of fear of that I don't have enough so I need more. That's the reality of, of boasting in a pretentious plan. Or we've seen this a lot. My kid is gonna be a superstar athlete so we'll skip crew and every other Sunday and for, and it's for the league and it's for his future. He, he's going to, have you ever seen that video where a kid throws a basketball at his either dad or brother and the mom really quick says, that boy's going to be an athlete. Then the guy throws it back at the kid, hits square in the face. Your kid might not be a superstar athlete. I don't know the data points on it. He might. I don't know. But do you really need to skip out on certain things for him to get in a league that might get him there? If he was if he was really good at it, wouldn't you think that maybe God will work it out to get him there? I don't know. That's something you're, as a parent, and I, because, you know, my, my daughter, she's going to be a track star. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I, when the time comes, have to work through and rest. And they're like, okay, is this God's favor that my kid is... Is, is Has something in them? Or is it my fear of that I never did something at that level, so I'm going to put it on them to do that? Something to wrestle through. You're welcome. And as we move on to verse 17, James chapter 4, verse 17, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and play behind me as slowly as you can. If it, I only know that because I walk slow too when Pastor calls us up. If anyone then knows... The good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I'm going to read that again because that's so good. If anyone that knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. If I know I should be in crew, I should be surrounded by people like-minded with Jesus, but I neglect it because I got a job promotion or, or I, I got this new job that will take me away from that, and I'm choosing that over the good I know is for my soul and for my family. It is sin for me. Sin is not this heavy, it is heavy, but it's not this heavy arching thing that it should break. It just means you're missing the mark. God has an X on the floor and says, I need you to hit this. It's kind of like quotas, not really. I don't want you to go home and be like, I gotta hit the quota today. No. It's God, there's a mark for us each day and each moment that he wants us to hit. And he does want us to wrestle through those decisions. And and, and even when we get those philosophical moments to kind of wrestle through it and be like, God, what is the good I ought to do? Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. I don't want to make the wrong decision. I don't want to move in the wrong way. I don't wanna buy this house if it's not your will because I don't wanna be house poor. I wanna be rich in your goodness because you supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. I don't wanna do certain things out of your will and pay the consequence that I could have missed out if I chose your will. And James is reminding us through these verses that you can have a plan, but the motive of the plan should always be God's will. Tomorrow will come, like Jesus says, tomorrow's worries are enough for tomorrow. Today has enough of its own to worry about today. So James is telling them, don't worry about what you would do tomorrow. Have the plans, ask God to come into those plans, but worry about where you are today. Not my will, but your will be done. Teach me, Lord, to have that verbiage in my life. Very practically. Now, when my wife and I decided to move on from our purple Barney minivan into the car written now, I had to ask myself certain questions. It's just the car. It sounds stupid, but I believe it put me in a place to really, truly wrestle through God's, God's will for my life. I prayed, God, I want a new car. Is it in the budget? Is it gonna work out? But Lord, in the deep parts of me, am I trying to show something out by the car I buy? And if so, Lord, help me see through that. I want your will for my, even to a car, You think that's so dumb, but I want God in the minute details of my life because if I know he's in the smallest thing and the biggest thing, it'll be easier to walk with him through it. So today feels like a minute decision of your life, but it's the biggest decision to move forward into what God has for you in your future. So let's read through those verses again, just so we have it in our front of our mind. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we would go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business as, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil." If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I'm gonna invite you to stand this morning. So today matters. This moment right now that feels so small and insignificant can be the moment where your life is changed from death to life, from hell to heaven. It takes one moment that changes your whole future, the whole course of your future. Today matters, and James reminds us that if we want God's will, let it be so, and God's will is right now and in this moment. Tomorrow is in God's hands. We all kind of know this scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11, you can go and throw it up. Tomorrow is in his hands, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God has a plan for you and a purpose for you. And we frame it, it's his will. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. He has it figured out. All he needs you to do today is choose his will. Now, many of us have, have decided that we're going to follow Jesus for the rest of our lives. And that's amazing. And we're so thankful for you, a pillar in the house. And you're a pillar in the city. You're a light that shines in the darkness. But for those who have come for the first time or the second time or the third time, you're still trying to figure it out whether this is something you want to do. God is calling you. He has a will and he has a plan. He has a purpose for you. And he wants you in this minute moment where it feels like it doesn't make sense. He wants you to choose him. And how do we know that? In that promise that we just read, he tells the Israelites what to do. Jeremiah 29, 28. Your exile will be long. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce That's not something you do in the future, that's something you start doing in the now. So God is calling you right now in this moment, because tomorrow starts today. Tomorrow matters, but today is what sets it up for tomorrow. And I had it framed this way, it's my last thought in here, so now I'm off the cuff. Don't wait till tomorrow to start today. And so we're all gonna pray this prayer together we're moving into our time of, that we call Salvation Call. We're, we're going to pray a prayer where you receive Jesus into your heart. You move from your old life into your new life, this minute decision going from death to life. We're all going to pray this prayer. But before we pray this prayer, we're going to open up the altar. And we're going to have prayer leaders come up who are going to just pray with you and pray for you and just ask if there's anything you need prayer for. Don't be afraid to take that first step. This walk with Jesus is one step at a time, one after the next. It's not a gallop. It's not a a marathon. It's one step after the next. And the worship team is going to play a song, so no one's going to look at you, see you. uh, They're probably just going to look at the stage and not worry about you. You are going to have your moment with God. You can stay in your chairs or you can come to the altar, whatever you want to do. And then after altar time, you you get up and you leave. There's gonna be two places you should go. We would encourage you to go. One is next steps. We wanna resource you with the Bible and give you some resources that our pastor wrote called The Basics, just to help you through this life. And again, we just wanna talk with you. We wanna move you from a face in the crowd to knowing your name. And then Connect Corner would be the next place to go. You shouldn't do this life alone and Connect Corner is gonna help you connect to the community, get connected with people One of the greatest tools that the enemy uses is try to isolate us. No one commits suicide with people around. They commit suicide alone. No one goes into depression with people around them. They go into depression alone. So the enemy wants to isolate you to keep you from really knowing that there is a joy that's unspeakable, that brings freedom, and that comes through community with God, but it also comes through community with people. So you have those two places that you should go to to get connected to this community. So now we're gonna pray. If you would bow your heads, close your eyes, so we can all zone in together as one. And just repeat after me this prayer. Jesus, Jesus. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into into today. And I I surrender all that I am to you. I believe you died and you rose to bring me victory. So today, Lord, have it all. I'm yours in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Come on, let's let's give it up for God. Let's give it up for those people who prayed that prayer for the first time.